Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, October 26th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Republicans have finally elected a new Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives after weeks of gridlock. Plus, we're launching a special three-part series about foreign investment in America. Today, we're going to Albany, New York, one of the places where money from outside the U.S. is trying to cash in on the green transition. I feel like you guys put a show on for us. We did. All of this we did. Activity. Mm-hmm. Called up everybody really early this morning. <laughs> I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. It took Republicans weeks to replace Kevin McCarthy after they voted to remove him from his post. But yesterday, the party elected a new House Speaker, Congressman Mike Johnson, who was a vocal supporter of Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. The hope is now, with Johnson in charge, the House can once again focus on legislation. Here to talk about it is the FT's Deputy Washington Bureau Chief, Lauren Fedor. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Mark. So, Lauren, three speaker nominees have come and three speaker nominees have gone, and House Republicans have finally landed on Mike Johnson. I think the big question on everybody's mind is, who is Mike Johnson? That's a good question, Mark, and it's a question a lot of people in Washington are asking themselves. He was a pretty, you know, little-known backbencher in the Republican conference. He's a member of Congress from Louisiana. He's a trained lawyer. And now he is the Speaker of the House, second in line in the presidential line of succession behind the vice president. Uh, And he's got a pretty long to-do list. So, Lauren, why did it take so long to get here? Well, it's complicated. But the short answer is that there are pretty sharp divides within the Republican uh, House conference. And those divides were laid bare over and over again as several candidates struggled to unite the party behind them. You know, we had at one point moderates saying that they couldn't get behind Trump loyalists. Uh, At other points, we had really kind of hardline Trump loyal conservatives saying that they couldn't back candidates who were deemed too moderate. Uh, Mike Johnson somehow managed to square the circle here. Does Johnson's victory here solve any of the problems in the Republican caucus? Like, can he actually unite the party? Well, he did unite the party in terms of the floor vote that got him elected. He was elected with the support of every single Republican. Uh, That's not something that McCarthy could have claimed back in January when he was elected. And it was something that obviously these other three candidates were not able to do either. In the medium term, in the long term, he's going to face a lot of difficult decisions, though, and votes. There are several things in his entry. One is obviously war in the Middle East. Joe Biden has asked for a huge national security package with billions of dollars, not only for Israel, but also for Ukraine. On top of that, closer to home, all of this speaker mess started when Kevin McCarthy struck a deal with Democrats to avoid a government shutdown. Well, the threat of a government shutdown is looming once again. That deal was only a stopgap measure and only funded the government through mid-November. So now the new speaker, Mike Johnson, has only a matter of weeks to figure out some way forward to avoid a shutdown next month. Certainly has his work cut out for him. Lauren Fedor is the FT's Deputy Washington Bureau Chief. Thanks, Lauren. 
Thanks, Mark. U.S. President Joe Biden has been on a mission to rebuild America with green technology. Maybe you've heard of Build Back Better or the Inflation Reduction Act. These are all things that make up his wider economic priorities, which are broadly labeled Bidenomics. Now, Bidenomics encompasses a lot of things, and one of those things is encouraging investment from foreign companies, which is what we're focusing on today and for the next few weeks, foreign investment in America. It's part of a larger series about what American cities are doing with the money they get from abroad and how it all fits into Bidenomics. We are driving along the Hudson River. It looks like we are coming up to the entrance to the Port of Albany. In part one, we're visiting the country's oldest commercial waterway, a few hours north of New York City. It is rows of large kind of oil tanks, very industrial scene, big trucks. Josh Chaffin is the FT's New York correspondent, and he recently drove up to Albany to see what's going on. Hey, Josh. Hey, how are you doing, Mark? I'm doing all right. So what exactly is going on at the port? Uh, well, Mark, the port is bustling because they are gearing up to manufacture tall towers that are part of the turbines for offshore wind farms. Two and a half years ago, the Port of Albany was designated as the first site in America to create this enormous factory where these towers will be made and then eventually floated down the Hudson River to a terminal in Brooklyn where they'll be staged and assembled and prepared and then eventually taken offshore to a wind farm off the northeast coast. Josh, how is this offshore wind project being funded? Well, it's being funded with state and federal grants, and then there are also investments coming from the private sector, and a lot of these are coming from European companies that have built a big offshore wind industry in Europe, and they're now trying to participate in America's effort to build kind of the equivalent over here. Now, who did you meet at the Port of Albany, and and what was it like there? Hi. Hi, I'm, I'm Megan. Really nice to meet you in nice person. To meet you. Hi. We met with Megan Daly, who is the chief commercial officer at the port. They are going to record. For oh, good to know. <laughs> the port is a place where there is a lot of work going on. There are roads being built, and this is the place where, if all goes well, there will be four very large factories there that will handle each of the processes of creating these enormous offshore wind towers. The Port of Albany has been in operations for 90 years and has a history of moving things that are big, either heavy or hard to move otherwise. Josh, what exactly would happen at these sites when things eventually do get off the ground? Well, as Megan was walking me through it, the first step is to actually bring the steel into the port Then the steel is rolled in one facility, it's welded, it moves to another uh, facility where it's finished and treated so that it can handle this difficult offshore environment. And then eventually they will move these uh, towers in pieces onto the barges. Imagine there'll be three to four of them on a barge going down. And we expect that they would be going pretty rapidly, meaning that it would be one after the other after the other to fulfill 
the project when construction is happening in the ocean. So every day, every week. So a 450-foot tower would probably float down the Hudson in sections on a barge bound for Brooklyn. Wow, I, that is quite the visual. But are there any challenges that the Port of Albany is facing? Well, the biggest challenge that they're facing is they and their partners applied for this before the pandemic. And the estimate that they had had for the cost to build this factory was about $350 million. And it has since uh, doubled. The increase in the cost of the project did create a challenge for making sure that this project's future is in fact cemented. So what we're doing now is proceeding in a phased approach to the project. It's not clear how that's going to be worked out. I think there's a lot of nervousness. Everybody is watching to see how um, state authorities respond. Yeah, so tell me, what would this project mean for the community? I mean, how important is this for the Port of Albany and the wider region? Well, you know, the companies that are going to operate this factory, Marmon Welkin, they're uh, two companies from Quebec and Denmark that have partnered have estimated that it would amount to 550 jobs, but it really is potentially a much bigger boon to the region. They said we would commit for 30 years. And to us, that was huge because of the stability to the site and the activity, and also because of the opportunity for the jobs and for the region. Megan called it generational. Part of this we saw as opportunities um, for those communities. If you calculate out the jobs, this could be the job for the rest of my life if I wanted to. This could be my job and the neighbor. I could bring my neighbor or my cousin. Which is, you know, the kind of thing in America that I think people often think that that's a thing of the past. Given the transformational nature of the project, I have to assume that there is a ton of pressure for this to get off the ground and and to succeed. I think that's right. So I think as an example of kind of Bidenomics in action, this would potentially be a very powerful thing. I think this cost issue is very complicated, but it feels like there is a lot invested in it already and a lot of determination to make sure that it works. I think we knew this was a big deal from the beginning, and that's why we felt so driven to take first steps on this. But I think, um, if I'm honest, I don't think we even knew just how big or how complex it was. And I think that statement could probably be echoed throughout what the United States is doing right now. Josh Chaffin is the FT's New York correspondent. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Special thanks to Kasia Broussalian for reporting and producing this piece and to our engineer, Sam Giovinco. Next week, our Investing in America series goes to South Carolina, where a battle is underway for the future of the country's auto industry. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.